Have you ever experienced the profound impact of grief while trying to juggle your work responsibilities? How did it affect you? Did your workplace offer any support? What does a truly supportive workplace look like when you are dealing with grief? Have you ever wondered if and how organizations should support their employees to navigate this challenging journey? What strategies can one use to strike a balance between grieving and maintaining their work responsibilities? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special friend with whom we will answer this and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is this so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D, and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Trash Show. Grief is a universal experience, an emotion that knows no boundaries or schedules. Like an announcer's guest, it often arrives uninvited. A loss can leave us feeling overwhelmed, fragile, and alone. We often think of grief as something private that needs to be dealt with behind closed doors and within the protective walls of our homes. But what happens when we are expected to clock in at the office, sit at our desk, and continue with business as usual, while our hearts ache with sorrow? How do we navigate the delicate balance between mourning our personal losses and meeting our professional responsibilities? So today we embark on a journey of understanding, empathy, and healing. We will explore some crucial aspects of grieving at work, each offering a unique perspective on this deeply human experience. In particular, we want to discuss the importance of recognizing grief's presence in the workplace, the role of supporting work environments, strategies perhaps for an effective communication, how maintaining productivity amidst the storm of emotions, and of the often unspoken long-term effects of this journey. And we explored this fascinating topic in a conversation with today's guest, Suzanne Jabour. Suzanne is a grieving mom who has found meaning in her loss through opening up conversations about grief, how it really works and how we can support people experiencing it. She works with organizations and businesses to build the skills and protocols to better support people who are grieving at work. She is available as a speaker to share a story and help normalize grief as a healthy response to losses, big and small. She is also a certified grief educator, transformational coach, and workshop leader. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Forgiven Trade Show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, I would love really to talk about this topic because this is something that hits home uh, for so many people, right? We all have mourning losses um, close to, to our hearts and we all have to deal with the reality of going back to work at some point, right? So it's something that a lot of people can understand the difficulty of dealing with it. But before we go into that, I would like to, to start with you because I just mentioned a few things about your, your bio, but I really would like to start with you and in particular your journey into grief and grief in particular at work and how you started working with businesses and organizations. Well, thank you. Um, so I come to this work as most people seem to from personal experience. Um, my most recent loss was that of my son, Ben. He died in September of 2020. So we've just passed the three year mark. Um, and he was 22. And that was as horrifying, disruptive, di disorienting, you know, all of the things that, you know, if we can allow ourselves to imagine what that might be like, it was exactly as horrifying as you think it might be. And really what I learned very quickly was that I didn't know enough about grief to be able to grieve well myself. And, you know, so I found that like things were happening to me. I was having all these strange symptoms and of course they were totally normal, but because we don't talk about grief, because we're as a collective so grief phobic and we really have so much fear about it, we don't share our experiences. And then when it happens to you, you think something's wrong with you, even though what's happening to you is entirely normal. So I really got curious about, you know, was what was happening to me normal? Was, you know, did I have instant onset Alzheimer's, right? No, in fact, I had brain fog, grief brain, very normal. You know, there's a wonderful researcher in the States who's written a brilliant book about, you know, the brain on grief, basically talking about how it's rewiring and it's protecting you. Your brain is very, very busy. So, you know, remembering things and being able to concentrate is really hard. And that's for sure one of the big things that shows up in the workplace. And what I found, you know, in the workplace was that there was no, there was no structure of support for people to tap into. And, you know, it, it, the North American average seems to be about three days off um, for a loss of a very close family member. And that's all defined by the employer, right? Who, what name of a relationship qualifies for that three days, the employer determines. And sometimes you get one day for a, you know, a less, you know, weirdly less close person in this structure that's, that exists. And we all know if we've experienced the loss of a loved one that you're not finished grieving after three days. You know, after three days, you've probably not even got to whatever ceremony or remembrance you're going to have. And it's just not long enough for people to be back to being functional. And it, it takes between six months and a year, really, for us to be back functional. The study I was reading the other day was saying that... Um, uh, productivity. They were looking at productivity of people who'd experienced um, significant losses and showed that for about the first six months, it dropped down to about 65%, 75%, somewhere in that range. And then between that six months and a year, it was back up to about 90. So we're not talking about endless support for people. 
But there really is a need for people to feel supported and be actually supported, you know, not just, you know, theoretically supported. We need actual support. And that's where my curiosity kind of led me was to, you know, what could we be doing for people? What could my company have done for me that either they didn't or that happened through my relationships with other team members that were prepared to step up and help me, but it wasn't structural. So it wasn't necessarily something that everyone would be able to access, which really is the ideal. We want it to be a set of protocols or a policy that everyone has access to. So there's equity, it's, you know, it's equal across departments. I talk a lot of times to people who will say, you know, in their company, they're a frontline worker and they know, you know, on this team, it's really great. And on this team, it's not. Well, then you have a team with vacancies, with high burnout, with all kinds of problems and a team that's functioning really well. And that's because someone on that team has the skill set that you could teach the people on this team. So it's about how do we level that playing field? How do we provide grief education to break down some of our lack of knowledge, to break down some of our fear about talking about it? And my other goal really became to do everything that I could to normalize grief, to shift this paradigm that we're in where there is so much fear. Because when there's so much fear, we end up isolated when what we want most is connection. So for me as a griever, that showed up because I didn't understand initially that the symptoms I was having were very normal. So I was perpetuating that whole thing and not saying anything about them because I thought, well, there's something wrong with me. I don't want to tell everyone that besides that, that this awful thing has happened in my life and I can barely cope. There's also these catastrophic things wrong in my body. So you kind of are, are in silence and... And because people don't have the skills to support you, the amount of people that you can talk to about what you're experiencing, even without all the weird symptoms that you think mean there's something wrong with you, just the emotional pieces, which are absolutely normal, you know, you end up isolating and you end up kind of in protective mode because people with the best of intentions say things that are really harmful and really hurtful. And pull themselves out of that group that maybe you felt like you could talk to. And other support people who really wish they could say something or really want to say something end up not supporting you because they have so much fear about saying the wrong thing. So, you know, we're all in fear and then we're all in isolation when really with some knowledge and some ability to be awkward while we learn together, we could be building connection. And so when I looked at where for other places we were trying to create systemic change, where we were doing that work, it became very clear to me that it was happening in workplaces. So for me, when I look at, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging training, for example, I get all of that at work. You know, we're trying to shift that culture. We're trying to shift that structure. We do that in the workplace. So it made sense to me then to focus on, okay, how do I educate business leaders? How do I educate HR departments? How do I educate team leaders? How do I educate colleagues, right, who are working on a team together and want to be able to support each other? And then how do I help businesses who want to take that extra step, put that structure into place so that the onus is taken off the griever having to advocate when they can barely make sentences. It's less pressure on the supervisor or the manager to have to kind of make something up out of the air because there's a structure in place for them to tap into. 
And it makes that awkward conversation less awkward because as the griever, I get to go and say, I know we have a policy. Can we look at it together and see how we can access it? And the supervisor gets to say, absolutely. And then we can look at this thing together and we have some shared language. We have some shared expectations. So it takes a whole lot of that awkwardness, not away because we're a long way from all feeling comfortable talking about grief, but it gives us a framework to talk within which becomes really helpful. And, and, you know, I think as humans, we really crave structure, even though our desire always seems to be about freedom. Like we want all this freedom, but we really know that we thrive with structure. So if we can have a structure that has some flexibility, because as you so brilliantly said, you know, it's different for every griever and it's different each time you grieve, right? This loss for me was far different from you know, when my dad died or when my mom died, you know, it wasn't my first loss of someone close to me, but it still was a completely different experience than I had had before. So even though I had grieved before people that were really important to me, I didn't have all the skills I needed and I didn't have all the knowledge I needed. And if I can talk about it and if I can provide some of that education, it makes it easier. Hopefully that's the intention, right? To make it easier for the next person who comes along, because if they encounter someone with a little bit of confidence and a little bit of skills, you can have a much richer conversation. Wow. Um, Susan, first and foremost, uh, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that uh, experience. Uh, surely it was, uh, it was very difficult. But I applaud you for taking, you know, this experience and, and turning it in, into something that helps you, but also others. And, and that is something that is very difficult to do. Uh, most of the times we, we tend to, we grieve in particular, we tend to grieve on our own in silence, uh, at home, uh, away from, from other people, from uh, the sight of others. And, and as you very eloquently said, we need connections. We, we need, you know, to share that, that grief with others, to hear from it, right? So th there are so many aspects that you touched in, in this, uh, in, in your story. And if you are okay with it, I would like to go back and uh, with one at a time and, and, and try to uh, go a little bit deeper. And starting in particular with understanding grief in the workplace. What does it really mean? How we can see that someone is grieving? Because especially in large organizations, we might not really know that someone is grieving. So perhaps mm -hmm. the only understanding is through the way they talk, the way they behave, the way they look perhaps. So mm -hmm. how can we realize that someone is grieving what are yes the, how does it manifest yeah i mean of course the ideal would be that you had the kind of workplace culture that they could come and say oh my gosh this awful thing happened and i'm really struggling and i'm going to need some support the reality is while many workplaces are on their way there most of us are not there yet and that's because as a collective, we also don't really like to talk about our emotions, right? We don't really like to share what's actually going on for us. We're kind of conditioned to, you know, only show the best parts of ourselves, which is really, really hard in grief because everything that's coming at you is all the things from that, you know, negative emotion list that you've been taught to ignore and suppress. 
So because the reality isn't that most people will come and openly say, this thing has happened and I'm going to need support. Where I think it shows up the most in the workplace is a couple places that are visible. So you can watch for people who used to be really good at multi-step tasks, for example. So one of the things that happens in grief that I talked about a little bit is this idea of grief brain or brain fog. You know, the, the ability to concentrate is really diminished. For many grievers, and this was one that I really struggled with, was that sense of multi-step tasks. So I have to do A and then B and then C in order to get myself to D. I would get to B and not remember where I was or what I was doing there, right? <laughs> like the, the ability to hold four steps was almost impossible. So that can be something to watch for because if you have someone who that's one of their really great competencies and all of a sudden it's not, then that could be a place to maybe open up a conversation and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm noticing some differences and I'm wondering if there's some support that I could offer or I'm wondering if there's anything you want to talk about. So that's one space. Um, someone who is really active um, socially, very friendly, and is withdrawn a little bit often is because of grief. Because as you say, it's something that we've been conditioned to try and do privately and quietly because it makes everyone else so uncomfortable. I was not able to do that. I was a grieving mom grieving out loud. That was my only option for survival. So I made a lot of people really uncomfortable, I'm sure. And that's okay because <laughs> we're gonna have to get a little bit uncomfortable to shift this. Because as you said, what's so interesting about grief, no matter how unique it is between people and between experiences, the one universal is that it needs to be witnessed. We need a place that we can talk about it because otherwise we end up in that spin ourselves and we go down all kinds of bad rabbit holes and you can get really easily stuck when you don't have a place to be able to safely talk about it. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, your supervisor becomes your therapist. That's not what we're talking about. But the ability to go in and say, wow, I had a really terrible sleep last night and I know I'm going to need some extra breaks today. So I'm just going to tap you on the shoulder and let you know I'm going for a quick walk and I'll be back really quickly. And then I know I'll be able to focus better. That's the kind of conversation I'm talking about. I'm not suggesting we want to come to work and bear all our emotions and be, you know, a hot mess or be lashing out or any of those things. But to be able to express when we're having a hard time and that we're going to need some support or we're going to need to be able to take a break or whatever it is, that's really healthy. That's a healthy workplace, right? Where we are actually bringing our whole selves when it's really great and when it's not so great. And there's space for all of that to be there. So you can watch for that. Um, people withdrawing, that's a really common thing that is how it manifests at work. Um, it's funny when you said it, I said I was thinking immediately about people who are really put together. I've never been someone who was always really put together, but we all know those people who are. So if those people who are always really put together are showing up a wee bit disheveled, right? That might be something that you could watch for and think, oh, I'm going to keep an eye on that for a couple of days and see if there's something going on. Because they also may just have been running late, right? We don't want to over, you know, read into situations. But if we're being aware of people just being not themselves, right, around concentration, around being able to get things done on time, it's really common in grief for our relationship with time to get disrupted. And time becomes this really strange I don't know. I found it very challenging. And that's, I discovered very normal. There was nothing wrong with me at all. 
So if it's someone who used to be really great at deadlines and now is struggling or used to always be early for the meeting and now is late, right? They may be struggling with time and with keeping track of things. And the brilliant thing about technology is there's a million and a half ways that we can make this easier for people, right? We can have shared calendars. We can have shared alerts. We can have shared documents that break out tasks and have check marks you know, have lists. There's all kinds of things that we can do with technology to make this much easier for people. And the interesting thing about that is when you take all of that remembering out of everybody's to-do list, then everyone has more space to be creative and innovative and come up with neat things, which is really what we're paying them for in the first place. You know, yes, we'd like them to be at the meeting, but I don't want them to be less productive all morning because they know we have an afternoon meeting. So if everyone knows the alert's going to go 10 minutes before the meeting, then we can all just be doing what we have to do and know that there's a plan in place to get us all there on time, right? So the things we would put in place to help the grievers really help everyone, which is, you know, one of the brilliant ripples of taking this on and really being proactive about how we're going to take care of people. I totally agree with that. And I love this idea because you mentioned before the diversity and inclusion um, activities that nowadays are, are very hot and popular with many organizations. Oh. And, and very often we think about, for example, tools for diversity instead of thinking of tools for inclusion. And, and that's a totally different, it's a shift, right, in the perception of, of that. So I, I absolutely love uh, what you are saying. It's something that doesn't label a person or a group of people, but uh, mm -hmm. can benefit everybody in the workplace. You started already to mention some of the benefits that acknowledging grief in the workplace can have. What are others? And what are instead the consequences of ignoring it or downplaying grief uh, and the consequences of it in, uh, in the workplace? I mean, the consequences are wildly expensive, uh, which I think businesses don't understand that perpetuating this kind of silence that we have about grief is actually really expensive. They did a brilliant study in 2003, so the numbers are old, uh, but the grief index calculated the cost of hidden grief then at $75 billion a year in the US. So just adjusted for inflation, because I can do that on Google, um, that brings it up to about 125 billion. And then we have to remember that's pre-COVID. And since spring of 2020, we've had grief of unprecedented amount of all sorts, right? We've had the loss of loved ones in levels that we hadn't seen, not for my generation, right? We hadn't seen that level of loss. And then there's all the other losses we've experienced. So losses of businesses, losses of jobs, losses of homes, losses of vacations, losses of you know, graduations and ceremonies and vacations and, you know, all of those things that were part of our normal life, right? Our whole sense of normalcy and how the world works was disrupted. So there's so much grief around us that I think that 125 billion at this point is probably a wild underestimate. And it's still a massive, massive number. So there's a cost piece. And then I think the other piece that has remained kind of unacknowledged and hidden is the costs around engagement and retention and productivity. 
because we know there's been a shift in the workplace. There's been a shift in what people are prepared to put up with. There's been a shift in what they're prepared to do, how they're prepared to be treated. And I think that if we're not addressing the way that we're caring for people that, is, that are struggling, we lose them. And we know that in the younger generations, right? I'm a mid 50 year old. Our sense of, you know, you got a job and you stayed for two years because otherwise it was a black mark on your resume, that is gone, right? My daughter's generation, they will go and they're there for a week. And if it's not a fit for them, they'll go and they'll have a new job tomorrow. So if you're not actively showing and demonstrating how you're taking care of people and how you can bring your whole self to work and be supported when you're struggling as much as you're celebrated when you're thriving, we're losing people. The place I see it the most is with burnout. So burnout happens a lot in organizations where the staff has really great grief skills themselves that they're offering usually to the client group. So it's often in social services or healthcare where they're dealing with patients and clients that have high levels of grief in their own lives, or they're dealing with the losses of patients and clients. So they have really pretty good grief skills to support other people, maybe to support team members. That's some of the places we see that imbalance I was talking about earlier, but there's nothing to support them. And sometimes, especially in healthcare, there's kind of that unspoken, though now more often spoken, expectation that like you chose this job, so you should just cope with it. Well, we're asking people to do the impossible and the inhuman. So if you don't have a structure in place for people to tap into, they end up burning out because they're overgiving, 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 and there's nowhere for them to recharge. There's no ability for them to say, today's the day I need support and for there to be some support structures there. And what's interesting in those kind of organizations is as you move up the um, sort of the management ladder, the conversation gets further and further away from it being grief. So when I interview someone on the front line, they'll say, oh yeah, there's tons of grief. And when I talk to someone in the same organization who's sort of upper management, they'll say, oh no, we don't have any grief here. And I sort of think, well, how? I mean, I'm looking at what your business is and I guarantee you, you have grief there because I can see it from here, but the management isn't talking about it that way. And then when you also don't have that shared language, there's an issue because if I go to management and say, I'm really struggling with grief and they don't acknowledge that there's grief here at all, I've hit a wall and now I need to go find somewhere that's going to help me and it's not here. So off I go. So you've lost another person, 20% of the salary to recruit and train someone new way cheaper to keep them and help them, right? We also see grievers that end up leaving because the support structure either doesn't exist. And I mean, I've talked to grievers who literally have lost a loved one, a spouse or a child, someone that close to them, gone back to work and no one has said a word. Well, how do you go back after three days when, as you said, your heart is still ripped out of your chest? My life felt like a post-apocalyptic nightmare and go back to a workplace where no one acknowledges that anything has happened. It's, it becomes impossible. So either there's nothing or there's well-intended, but the wrong things. So people get supports imposed upon them, which is not going to be helpful because we need to be reverse centered. And then they, they find that uncomfortable or it becomes such a big deal that they feel like it's become their only identity. They're that woman who lost a child who needs help. 
and they're ready to step back fully into whatever job they were doing, whatever task they had, but they feel constricted by this kind of identity that's been imposed upon them. So it is a delicate dance. It's really something that needs to be done with some intentionality and with some, you know, purpose and some realization that there needs to be flexibility. Everybody's needs are going to be different. And for some people, you know, that workplace that you went back into and nobody ever said a word, would, that would be perfect, right? They want to go to work and never talk about it and have work be this place where they're just a worker and they go home and grieve in private. And that works perfectly for them. I was the other end of the spectrum, right? If I couldn't have talked about my situation at work, I wouldn't have been at work. It would have been impossible. So how do we deal with those two things? Well, what if the immediate supervisor or a close colleague phoned the person the day before they're supposed to come back and said, hey, I understand you're due back tomorrow. Would you like us to acknowledge your loss or would you like us to just pretend that nothing's happened? Do you want everyone to come to you tomorrow and get it over with? Or would you rather I ask people to just, you know, give you a smile and a wave and talk about it over time? What would work the best for you? Then, whether it's please have nobody say a word or please, yes, I would love for people to come and talk to me, your team member is getting what they need. And ultimately, that's what we want. We want, you know, as employers, we want our teams to be happy and healthy and thriving. And if we ask, they could probably tell us what they need. But we're so scared to ask. We're so scared to do the wrong thing. We're so scared to do harm that we end up not asking. And then, you know, we're bumping into their expectations and our approach are not meeting. And then we lose them or they withdraw. And we have presenteeism, which is also another billions of dollars hidden cost, right? People who are there, but not productive and not engaged and not, you know, excited about their job. And that's not helping anybody either. So it's really that openness of communication. That's that first starting point that disrupts all of that and really then brings you all those benefits of creating a workplace where we acknowledge grief. You know, grief happens in all kinds of ways. So what if when you've been working on a project and you launch it and nothing happens, or you have a quarterly drop in earnings or something at the office doesn't go the way you're expecting. What if that debrief meeting started with the leader who has to lead this saying something like, wow, we worked our butts off and we thought we were onto something fabulous and we launched it and nobody cared. And I have a whole lot of feelings about that. And I just want to let you know that that's okay. And if they're comfortable naming those feelings, that's brilliant, right? I'm feeling angry and frustrated and so disappointed. And I just want to scream into my pillow. And, you know, let's acknowledge that. Anyone who feels comfortable, share a feeling word. We don't have to do this for hours. We're not talking again. We're not doing therapy around the boardroom table. But if we can acknowledge that there's some feelings there and reassure people that that's normal and reassure them that even though it didn't go the way we wanted, they're still a valued part of this team and we still know that they worked and did the best that we knew how. And then we go to our debrief meeting about where did it break down? How do we repurpose it? Where do we pivot to? All of those businessy things that we all do so well. Everyone's doing that from a completely different level of comfort because there's not a whole part of your experience that you're having to shut down and keep inside. And it's taken five minutes at the beginning of the meeting. And then we're all ready to run. 
because none of us are sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so worried. I'm feeling so much stuff about this, but I don't feel like that's okay here. And what if I get fired because I was on this team? Or what if, what if, what if? We just dismiss all of that. It all dissipates. And then we get back to creativity and innovation and doing fun things, right? And building our business, which is really what we're all there for. It makes so much sense what you're saying. And I think that sometimes is really the fear of talking about emotions, the uh, real mm-hmm. The problem, the biggest problem, who uh, yeah. says we are at work and and therefore we talk about business. That's it. And about emotions, we talk uh, in the pub or club or at home and uh, with with friends. Or not at all. Yeah. Or not at all. Absolutely not at all. <laughs> you know, I was I was hoping you know for for some sort of support there. But yes, absolutely. Sometimes we don't talk at all and. And I think it's really normalizing, as you said before, normalizing the conversation around emotions, that they mm-hmm. are just part of life. Yeah, and, the, and a normal part of life. Like we're supposed, we're feeling creatures. That's what we do, right? We're feeling, we feel things, we tell stories, we connect with each other. And if we're being asked to compartmentalize ourselves, which I, I absolutely believe for most organizations is not actually what they want. They actually want everyone bringing their whole selves to work. They actually want people feeling psychologically safe. They want people to feel connected and seen and heard and valued. And we don't necessarily know how to do that the most robust way. And if leadership isn't modeling it, this is where it's really critical for leaders to step into that vulnerability, right? That Brene Brown has been so brilliantly teaching us about now for decades. You know, that vulnerability as a superpower really is where the magic is because there is no one on your team that is going to be more vulnerable than the leader. Nobody. It's impossible. You can't be. It's not safe. So if the leader can model, even awkwardly, even imperfectly, especially then, right? If especially then we can say, wow, I hate talking about emotions, but man, I have a whole lot of them. So let's just acknowledge that there's a whole lot of emotions here. And, you know... I don't know. I would love if we could all just like have a wiggle at the table, right? If we can move our bodies, it makes such a huge difference, right? Somatically, it's so good for us. And I get that there's a lot of boardrooms that are nowhere near going to do that. That's okay too, right? We're going to meet you where you're at. But if we can disrupt some of this silence around emotions, around grief, around when we're struggling, the ripple happens for everyone because you're helping the griever. Yes, that's my passion. That's what I'm going to help you do. But you're showing everybody that when you're struggling, we care enough to help you, right? We're moving from sympathy, I feel sorry for you, to empathy, I understand what's happening for you, I can put myself in your shoes, to compassion, which is how can I help you? I see what's happening, I understand what's happening, and I'm here to help. That's where we need to get to, to break this all down. Yeah, I'm all in. I love, absolutely love (laughs) where you're going with this because to be honest, I'm in conversation with my own organization on exactly the same points. Uh, And funny enough, within the diversity, inclusion and equality Mm -hmm. and uh, belonging. Yeah, there's so much overlap there, right? Because if we're not creating a safe space, and, and, and you have to do it in a way that people are allowed to participate or not, as much as they want, as they feel safe. Because you also can't force people to do it because that's the other edge of unsafe, 
right? So you're opening the opportunities. You're modeling as a leader, right? This is what compassionate leadership looks like. It looks like I'm modeling that I'm not very good at this either, and that's okay. So I'm going to be awkward, and I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to make amends when I do. And we're all going to learn together because that gets us to a healthier place. And when we're healthier and more holistic and more whole at work, we're more productive. We're more engaged. We stay. We become the best recruiting tools you have and we're bringing all our friends, right? That's what businesses want. They want people there engaged, passionate about what they're doing, committed to the organization, feeling connected on mission, right? We talk about all of those things. And here's a really strategic, structural way that we can build that kind of an environment. And you can solve for one and expand out to others. Right. We look at it through this lens because everyone has experienced grief of some sort and everyone knows that they will. So we have that all in common and we can we can even start it from collective grief. Right. There's so much collective grief right now that we've all experienced together. We don't even need to point anybody out because we've all got it. So now what are we going to do? Well, we need to have some awkward conversation. Absolutely. So let's talk about the infrastructure that organization can put in place to help the employees to go through and navigate that difficult time? Yeah, the best way is to have gone through a process where you've created a procedure. So there actually is a procedure in your manual, the same way that you have a sick leave procedure, the same way you have vacation procedure, the same way you have return to work from injury, right? We have all of these procedures that kind of govern how we interact with the office, and we don't have one about grief. So that's the ideal. And what that ends up looking like is that, you know, it's kind of that idea of beyond the three days off and the referral to the employee assistance program. Because for most places, that's about the best that they've got. What we want to look at also is how do we support the griever who's at work? So what structures can we put in place? And it ends up looking kind of like a menu. So it's a list of, you know, and it's dependent on position because you can't necessarily offer the same support to every position in your organization. You know, you can't offer the same thing to the teller at the bank as you could offer to the loans manager because you need the teller to be there on time. The loans manager might be able to work from home, right? But how could you have a menu of things that cover off things like time, that cover off things like flexibility, that cover off things like breaking down tasks or temporarily taking some tasks away? Right. While you know your productivity is down and you know your capacity for concentration isn't great, what if you had a conversation about, you know, what are the parts of your job that you really, really love? Because this is the other thing I hear from grievers is that they'll get tasks taken away, which is brilliant because they know they can't do everything, but the employer will take away the tasks they love the most. No, leave them the tasks they love the most. Take away the ones that they enjoy the least, if that's possible. And if you're creating this structure of support, then people also start to understand and see that support is an ebb and flow. So one day I might need support. A week from now, I can give support. And everybody gets to take and give, right? So there's, you break down all that resentment of like, I'm always having to cover for so-and-so, right? Because it's structured and it's set out. So you can cover things like, is flex time possible? Could you do a hybrid work from home, work from the office, if that's an option? Could you do complete work from home? 
Are they more comfortable being complete in the office when they used to be an at-home person? Like, where does the work need to get done? That's one thing to look at. Time is another thing to look at. Can they have flexible hours? Is that possible in their position? Can they just get here when they get here and get their work done and go home when the work is done? That's something to talk about. Um, is it, so, I mean, right down to when we were talking about like dishevelment before, is this a position that actually needs to be business dressed? Or can they show up in leggings and a t-shirt because that's what they managed to get on to cover their private parts today, right? Some days getting dressed is really hard. And I would be like, okay, I have on pants, I have on a shirt, excellent, I'm good to go. And I was lucky because in my job, that was good enough, right? Couldn't be all raggy, but you know, if I had on pants and a shirt, I was good to go. So is that something you could offer flexibility around? There's so many places that we can look at. And what I really love to do is really dive into that business with the staff. So when I come in and do my program with an organization, we do a, I do a meeting with the staff where the leaders don't get to be there. And the staff talks about what's their dream list because they have unfettered brilliant ideas when they're not looking out the corner of their eye at what their supervisor or their boss might think about it, right? And what impacts your job? They are also the ones who know their job the best. How could you help each other? What's something that would be easy for you to offer each other? And let's put that all on the list. We need to think a lot about safety sensitive positions because we know in early grief, especially distraction is very normal. And we know distraction is terrible for safety. So how do we protect our safety sensitive folks? How do we have a buddy system or an extra set of eyes? Or do we temporarily reassign them to something less risky? If that feels like it would serve them, right? We have a, an obligation to keep them safe. We also want them to be satisfied and wanting to come to work and all those things. So there's a balance to be had there. So it really is coming up with that dream list, like that shoot for the moon brainstorm. And then going to leadership and saying, okay, here's like the wish list. Let's talk about what's really possible. What can you reliably offer without hesitation? Because you don't want things on that list that are not doable, because that's no fair to anybody. And you don't want things on that list that you sometimes could do, but sometimes not, right? So you want to end up with a list that has buy-in from everyone, right? And then we get together all together and talk about it before it becomes formalized by whoever creates all your policies and whether I'm helping them do that or however it shows up in your policy manual. But really we're aiming for that menu. So in what positions can you access what pieces of it? What do you need this week? And then you need to have a structure of follow-up because that's what happened. You know, I was telling the story of the woman who ended up leaving because, you know, they had taken away a bunch of her tasks and she had become this woman who'd lost a child who needed help. And there was no structure for her to take those tasks back and get re-engaged. So you need a follow-up structure. Great. Let's meet every Monday morning or let's meet every Friday at the end of your week and think about what might we might want to do for next week. Because you probably won't need the same support next week you needed this week. And that may even change day to day. But for most businesses, we want to hope that we can do a week or two and then touch base again and see, you know, how is it going? And if you need anything in the meantime, my door is open, right? Let me know. But here's the plan. Let's see how it goes because we're going to have to learn it together because the griever is just figuring it out too. So we have to have that ebb and flow and that give and take of learning it together. Everything that you are saying here really hits home. Um, I burned out a few years ago at work and it was for me almost like losing myself. So I've been getting myself and, and a lot of the aspects that you are talking about really applies to so many aspects 
or our life at work. And obviously grief is probably the first, but there are so many other ways, um, you know, we, we could apply this kind of uh, attention uh, and mm -hmm. have a, a person-centered way of, of, of dealing with the, the employee. And sometimes I think we follow rules and uh, productivity obviously is, is a big one, but, and we forget that productivity is linked to our people and the, the these two aspects cannot go one without the other. So I, yeah, everything you're trying to achieve is tied to your people. And if you're not taking care of your people, everything you're trying to achieve is exponentially harder. Hmm, absolutely. Susan, we mentioned partly before talking about grief is not easy. Sometimes even disclosing um, the fact that we have gone through that uh, experience is, is very, very de delicate and, and very mm -hmm. challenging. What are the barriers that often prevents people from opening up, discussing? I mean, you, you have said you were very open and, and really wanted to have that sort of interaction with, with others about it and grieving. Um, you know, in in an open way, which I think is uh, is fantastic because it's it's really a way to um, make sure everybody understands and and you don't hide your emotions. Mm -hmm. But very often it's it's very very difficult. And is it a personal thing, fear perhaps to be labeled as you mentioned, the lady, mm -hmm. the lady who lost uh, her, her child. Is uh, the organization that doesn't offer the environment where people feel safe enough to discuss about these problems? Where, where are these barriers and uh, uh, normally and what can we do to sort of overcome them? Yeah, I think it's all of those things, right? I mean, there's barriers in our personal lives to talking about it. You know, if we take it outside of the workplace, as a culture, as a collective, you know, we're not good at talking about grief. We're just, you know, and that's, it's a no shame, no blame, you know, statement. I don't say that to make anyone feel badly. We're just not because we don't do it. We have so much fear and really we've, we've been enculturated. We've been raised right to, you know, be stoic and be strong and independent, all these things. And grief breaks all of those things down. You know, when you have this kind of catastrophic loss, it breaks all of that down. All of that becomes impossible. That's why for me, I, my only choice was to grieve out loud because I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity to pretend to have it together. That was impossible. Um, but yeah, for most people, you know, and I'm so grateful that I felt safe doing that, right? I had people around me that I felt safe doing that. My immediate supervisor was amazing. Above him, there were some issues, but the, the issues above him didn't have a lot of control over my day-to-day -day hmm. experience, so it didn't matter that much. And my team was fabulous that I worked on. You know, we'd been working together for a long time, and they most of them knew my son, so they kind of knew what was happening and kind of got it. But there are a lot of barriers because there are societal barriers. So we can break those down in our personal lives, right? We can start to disrupt that have more conversations about grief. And I really think if we acknowledge that grief happens for all kinds of losses, so not just the loss of a loved one, but the loss of a job or the loss of an opportunity or the loss of a relationship, the loss of a dream, 
you know, pet loss for sure is one that we have all these kind of taboos around and we have so much judgment about. If we could talk about those kinds of losses, then we're practicing where the stakes feel lower. And we could have, you know, what if someone, you know, was applying for a job, they really thought they had it, they were really looking forward to it. You know, we've all been in that situation where we're applying for a job and we've already got the whole story about when we've been there for 10 years, right? And how our life is gonna be different. And then they don't get the job. Our conditioning and our inclination has us go to, you know, it's okay, you know, there's a better job out there for you. It wasn't really good for you anyway. It wasn't gonna be a good fit. You know, something better will come, whatever it is, all those kind of cheerleadery things we say. What if instead we started that conversation with something like, wow, I know that you were really excited about this job. And I know you were really invested in thinking about how it could change your life. And I'm so sorry that you didn't get it. And that you must just have a whole bunch of feelings about that. And if you wanna talk about them, I'm here to listen. And if you don't, that's okay too. And then go on to, you know, do you have a plan? What do you think is gonna be next? Where are you looking? What's next? You know, the conversation we want to have naturally almost needs to be the second half of the conversation. We need to have the awkward part first, where we start to acknowledge those emotions because they're real and they need to be expressed and they need to be normalized. And if we've practiced there, then maybe when you come across someone like me, who's had a really catastrophic loss, you have a little bit more comfort. You have a little bit more confident. You have a little bit more of an idea about what you might be able to say. And that I think will start to disrupt this kind of silence and this kind of blocked space that we find ourselves in. And then we take that into the workplace where the leader has to model. I know leaders, I'm sorry, but it's all up to you, right? The leader has to model that grieving loss is normal. And we can do that when losses happen at the office because it does, right? We either have customers who pass away. Sometimes we have employees and colleagues who pass away. So we do have the loss of people at the office and we have all kinds of other losses, right? We launch products that fail. We have an initiative that doesn't go the way we thought. The average company restructures every two to three years. Every time you restructure, there's grief and loss every time. And I think we worry about it for the people who got let go, right? Who are made redundant, laid off, whatever your language is, where you are, wherever you are. But we don't think about it for the people who are left behind, who maybe got moved to a different team or a different job or a different location, or are on their same team, same job, same location, but they're wondering how they got to stay when someone they thought was at least as good as them is gone. So they have all kinds of swirly emotions. And we know that productivity dips after a restructure. What if we talked about that instead of pretending it's not happening? I was talking with someone the other day, she was at my workshop and she said in the company she's been in, she's been there for 20 years, they've never talked about grief, but they talk about stress all the time. Hmm, you know, unexpressed grief create, or yeah, unexpressed grief creates stress. So there's a connection there that I see very clearly. And she said, now their new buzz is we're supposed to befriend change. And I said to her, well, how are you supposed to befriend change if no one talks about grief? And she said, yeah, I don't really know. I was like, well, you can't. Change brings loss, even a change for the better. You're leaving something behind. 
Loss brings grief. We are on the grief train and nobody's talking about it. So then we're all feeling it, but we're not allowed to express it. So we either take it home and hopefully we have a good sounding board there or we don't. And then it's just stuffed. And then we're feeling like we, we're not sure how we fit here. And we have all this stuff going on that's not acknowledged at work. So we can't bring our whole self. And then we're getting burnt out. And then we're in this spiral. Or we could just have talked about it. Because the interesting thing is there is way less drama in the talking about it than there is in the denial. Because if you're in the denial and people are stressed out and then they're lashing out or they're full of anxiety at the workplace or they're getting burnt out or they're crying in the bathroom or they're breaking down in meetings because they're that burnt out, that is a lot of drama. And if instead we normalize talking about it and acknowledging it, just naming the emotions starts to move them. That's what science shows us. Just naming them. I'm really frustrated. Oh. There it is. We've named it. It's there. We can acknowledge it. Oh, I bet I would be really frustrated too. I can see you're frustrated. That makes sense to me. We're just going to acknowledge it. And then we go on with our day. Then we've released a little bit of it. And if we can do that regularly, we can keep all of those emotions moving. What is interesting of what you're saying is that by sharing those emotions, we literally work together, we are on the same boat, while by <laughs> hiding, we are almost one against the other because we are fighting with something that we don't know exactly what it is. We cannot name it. There is almost a ghost in between us, right? So yeah. I, I absolutely love what you're saying. I think it's, um, it's time that organizations really start to think about emotions because it's part of the, the productivity chain uh, at the end of the day. So I, I really, yeah. really love that. Susan, I'm aware of time. So before concluding, I would like to come back on you and, and ask what you are working on right now, what you are planning, if there is anything in particular that you would like to share with us. Yeah, you... absolutely. Um, I do... Uh free masterclass, uh, usually a couple times a month. Uh, and that's a great place for people to connect. You know, if anything we've talked about here appeals to you and you think, oh my gosh, I need to look at my workplace culture and we have no structure. And how do I start these awkward conversations? That's where we start to really look at it as a, a in a systemic way. Uh, look at, you know, what steps need to come first. Cause that compassion piece that, you know, that emotional intelligence piece, which we've talked about a lot today, for sure needs to come first. Because we can't have awkward conversations about grief until we've got some level of emotional intelligence, um, which most of us have been working on for a long time now. So most of us are along that continuum for sure. So that's a great place to connect with me. Um, and then I do a half day workshop, which is either a come to me. I offer that one about every six weeks or so, uh, either a come to me or if you have a group of people you want to have do it at your workplace, I can come to you. And then I have a longer program, both for leaders who want to do it independent of their organization and for organizations that want to take it on within their workplace system and really have that top to bottom, um, you know, integration of these concepts into their business. So lots of ways to connect with me. Um, all of the information for all of those things is I'm sure going to show up in the show notes uh, and you can find it all on my website at a lived experience.com. Um, that's the best place really to connect with me. And if you want, um, there's an ebook on that website. So you can go to a lived experience.com 
forward slash. Oh, I'm going to forget it's ebook. I'm pretty sure it might just be book. I might be lying. Um, but there you can get, it's a very short, very snappy, it's about six pages. Um, just kind of outlining, you know, things to look for, like, what should you be watching for? What are, are, you know, ways that this might manifest at work that you could be on the lookout. So you can offer help when people feel too worried about looking weak or looking, you know, not productive or looking not, you know, like the ideal employee and they don't want to say anything, but things you can be looking out for among your teams and even just watching for, you know, sometimes it just looks like there's something mucky going on and you can't put your finger on it because we don't understand really how grief works. So, you know, there's some common symptoms, things to watch out for, and then some ways to start breaking up that, you know, that kind of log jam that we're in and opening those conversations. Fantastic. And as always, uh, yes, we will put all the links in the description of today's episode. So everyone will uh, find a way to get in touch with you. Yes, so thank you. Very, very final question. If there was one take-home message that you would love everybody to remember from this conversation, what that would be? The biggest, most important thing for people to understand is that grief is normal. Grief is the normal, healthy response to loss of all kinds. And if you're grieving, whatever has happened to you, whatever is happening to you is absolutely normal, but nobody told you about it. And that's okay. Whatever's happening is normal. And if we can talk about it, then we'll feel far less scared. Well, that's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Well, I hope that this episode has shed light on a topic often left in the shadows of our professional lives. Grief is a universal experience and our workplaces where we spend a significant portion of our time are not immune to its profound effects. Whether you are experienced grief at work or want to support a grieving colleague or friend, remember that empathy, open communication and healing have the power to transform our workplaces into sanctuaries of understanding and compassion. And I want to leave you with a quote from Victoria Alexander who said, there are three needs of the griever, to find the words for their loss, to say the words aloud, and to know that the words have been heard. Susan, thank you so much for accepting our invitation and for sharing so much about your personal story, what you do, your positive message, and your mission with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, we would love to know what you think about this topic. Are you or someone you work with grieving for a significant loss? If so, how is the healing journey going in the workplace? Is your work environment supportive? Let us know. Also, don't forget to check Suzanne's website, her work, and to follow her on social media. You will find all the links in the description of today's episode. If you've been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at 
forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.